Video. It's the only way to get what you want to watch when you want to watch it. Hello, my name is Justin McClure. I'm here today with Mark Hansen. And you're listening to the Bay Street Video Podcast. We go through all of this week's new Blu-rays and DVDs. And we have such huge titles this week that we got to jump right in. Big ones, as opposed to last week. I know what your favorite movie of all time is, Mark. We finally got What's a that? three-disc collector's edition of you it. You are correct, sir. You are correct. It is. I spit on your grave. I'm just kidding. This is not Mark's favorite movie. I do like this movie, though. I'm going to say that right up front. I I don't want to, um, you know, dissuade anyone from purchasing this beautiful new set from uh, Ronin Flicks, which has never been in the store before at Bay Street Video. Yeah, let me uh, let me set this one up a bit. So yeah, Ronin Flicks is obviously notorious for just doing online sales and online sales only. Uh, we talk about how they get all the best Scorpion releases every week, and they leave us with the dredges <laughs> in terms of what Scorpion puts out. <laughs> yeah, all those 80s sex exactly, comedies nobody exactly. wants. Exactly, So I had reached out to them as a result of our conversations to see if we could get said Scorpion disc from them and they responded with a flat no sorry we can't because (laughs) we have a exclusive deal with scorpion and they won't allow us or something i don't know some nonsense answer but they were like but having said that we do have the i spit on your grave box set coming out because that's something they have produced in-house apparently would you like copies because they're doing a new wholesale thing with stores so you know i jumped on the opportunity maybe i was a little too eager with it since they are pretty pricey you're looking at about a hundred dollars for this set oh it's not that much i just need to get a second mortgage on my whoa whoa, whoa. i'm kidding i don't have a mortgage (laughs) yeah exactly people who buy these kind of things don't have mortgages but you know what this is a really beautiful set it is a three disc collector's box and they shipped it to us in these big ronin flicks boxes that come with posters magnets they even sent double duplicates of the sleeves because apparently they had messed up some of the printing on it or something like that. They really went all out on this. Um, So if you are a fan of this movie, this is a great release. But that is the question. Are you a fan of this movie? Doesn't it come with the uh, new film that came out this year, the Long Gap sequel? Yeah, so it's a three-disc set. It comes out with the I Spit on Your Grave Deja Vu, which I never saw. I believe we talked about on this podcast, though, when it came out, um, which is also directed by Mayor Zarki, who did the first one. And it also comes with a disc with like a feature length documentary called, I think, Growing Up, I Spit on Your Grave or something like that, which I believe is directed by the director's son. Interesting. Um, Yeah. So it's a family affair here. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But yeah, I mean, getting back to the film itself. Uh, it's obviously not a movie that is, you know, one of those throw on whenever, you know, Friday night comfort food kind of movies. But I do understand and appreciate the historical significance behind it. And I think it's really effective at what it does. Granted, I think it spawned a lot of, of really gross subgenre that often dwells in misogyny. Well, pretty much exclusively dwells in misogyny. But there's something about the original I Spit on Your Grave that makes me... I don't know, think a little bit kinder. Obviously, the story behind making it goes that he was inspired to make this because he was driving with his wife one night and uh, there was a woman on the side of the road who had apparently just been raped and beaten and he they took her to the hospital and this inspired this movie. Whether or not you believe that or not, I just think the intentions behind this one are a little bit... a little bit better. And I think it shows because the film is so stark, it doesn't... I feel like a lot of 
subsequent rape revenge movies really glorify the violence as well as the rape in a really kind of grotty, gross kind of way. Whereas this presents the rape in a very, very stark manner. It is one of the most disturbing sequences I've ever seen as a, as a film viewer. And then it switches it around and it shows the violence that she inflicts on these men in the same sort of stark way. And I just think it's a really effective uh, example of the genre. Maybe the only good rape revenge film, potentially, unless you're counting like newer, kind of more feminist minded. Um... Uh, 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 I would like to bring up Denis Arcand's Gina. Right, you know, I've never I've always heard about this film and never had a chance to see it. Uh, but other than that, yeah, there's a lot of them. I'm sure there's other good ones, but nothing comes to mind because it's something that I do not seek out. Me neither. And I do think the this film was a little sullied by the attempt to remake it about a decade decade ago which also spawned its own couple yeah, of sequels with more traps. yeah and i think that i remember seeing the remake of i spit on your grave at the toronto after dark festival 10 years ago with the director i don't even know why i went the director was in in house and everything and it was just a it was basically you know what you expect from a remake around that time it was just really slick and gross and basically you know, glorified all the violence, whereas this one, the original did not. And when the director was asked afterwards by someone in the audience why he would choose to remake a movie like that, like such an iconic but such a notorious film, his like his response was just a lame, oh, well, if I didn't do it, somebody was going to do it. So I jumped on the opportunity. That is not a reason to remake something. Like, that's not cool. He had a real, like, I think his name was Stephen... Campanelli or something. I don't know. He, had, he came back, though, and he directed the second yeah, one. Yeah, and then they made two else more of those, which I did not see. But again, the big controversy over that remake was how they sexualized the poster of the uh, of the woman's butt, I guess, so to speak. I whereas, mean, it's pretty sexualized on the original one as well. It is, it is, but it's it's more sexualized, I would say, on the remake <laughs> version. Those butt cheeks, those butt are, cheeks are more very, firm. So, yeah, but... You know, getting back to the original, I do really like this film, and it is it does have hold a really important place in horrors, uh, horror film history, and this is like a definitive kind of box set. I mean, it was on Blu-ray briefly before from Anchor Bay, uh, which went out of print really quickly, um, but since then, there's been nothing, so this is, yeah, like I said, the definitive release of Guys, this film. Guys, please buy it. Please. <laughs> please buy it. Please buy it. We've we've sold a few. I'll say that. We've sold a few. They'll sell. They'll sell. And we and we've got Boxing Day coming up people. So, you know, if you if you're a little like No, no, don't wait till Boxing price, Day. Buy it now know. before it's gone. Mark, Mark, you got to make these sales. Yeah, exactly. It'll be gone. Well, that's the thing. Once we once we sell out, we're not getting any more. So, and I think we have 5 of them left. So, if you want Have you it, gotten any questions from people being like, when are you getting the Dawn of the Dead Second Sight Blu-ray oh, set? Oh, man, we get asked about that on a daily <laughs> basis. <laughs> well, mine just shipped from Amazon.uk, even though oh, supposedly they're not supposed to, because it's supposed to be a, like a UK exclusive is what I hear. Oh, interesting. Well, yeah, there's yeah, this weird rights issue. Uh, Rubenstein, the producer of it, he is an odd okay. fellow. Well, what P a lot of our customers don't understand are region codes, too. So, you know, mm. but yeah, unfortunately... <laughs> We will not be getting that release anytime we, soon. We should make little documentaries that can play throughout the store like a museum. And it's like, what's a region code? <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? 
<laughs> yeah, you should have to take a tour through the museum before you actually get into the store. Because <laughs> people don't even know what a video store is. Yeah, we've got the hallway out front where the Tim Hortons is and everything. We can just fashion that like a little video store Listen, museum. you kick out Tim Hortons and you make the Tim Hortons a museum of video. Exactly. Tim Hortons makes no money, right? <laughs> no, none at all. We make way more money right. than them. So moving on, <laughs> we have Burst City from Arrow. And uh, this is a movie I really like, Sogo Ishii, the guy that is the equivalent of... Of if John Woo to slow motion, so Goishi is to sped up motion. His films are energetic blast. He's this film is famous for even though it was funded and distributed by Toei, a company. He, uh, Ishii is famous for being like the do-it-yourself Japanese filmmaker, especially his film Crazy Thunder Road, which came out before Burst City. And what's interesting about him is when I say like ah fast motion, he is also like a very um, meditative director. So like it'll be like really really fast and then like slow moments in between to make the fast like that much more powerful and this was like a road warrior almost experimental music video uh kind of thing and it was released back in the day by was it media blasters it, films? No, one of those was, companies uh, i believe it was discotech or something like that discotech that's it was what them, it was right? yeah, yeah, yeah they yeah. put it on dvd but now this is the new master uh that was done in japan and it's uh, there's an interview with Sogo Ishii that's really long, another contextual interview with an academic and a new commentary by Tom Mess. So I'm glad that it's finally being released in a really good edition. Do you know the insane physical media market in Japan, Mark? I don't. So basically, like companies like Toho, they don't want to give Criterion new masters of stuff or let them do new masters because they'll compete with the physical media market. And the physical media market in Japan for a two disc DVD back in the day, it's $57 US. So I think that's about how much Blu-rays go for as well. It is a collector's market. Like a new Blu-ray single disc will probably run you about $40-$50. Wow. And that was that was 10-15 years ago when I got those. So I don't know what it could be like now. It's very expensive. That's wild. That is I mean it's cool to see that there is like such a booming market over there for it still. Well, that's like anime back in the day to get like uh, a disc with two episodes would be like 50 bucks. That was famous was FLCL, Fooly Cooly was that expensive. But yeah. Oh, man. Well, even when we don't really carry a lot of anime series here, but we do special order them in for people. And even, yeah, the North American releases of some of those shows are very expensive for like half a season. Or so something. moving on, we also have Zebra Man. Uh, and speaking of media blasters, this is the Takashi Miike uh, superhero movie. Movie that he made. Yeah, I've never seen this one actually. Have you? Yeah. I know this is I one actually of like his... Zebraman 2 probably more because it's like a weird post-apocalyptic lark. And that one also got a big special edition from a different company back in the day when everyone was fighting over uh, Takashi Miike films. And Media Blaster still um, blowing through their catalog. Still kicking, I guess. <laughs> I know. I guess, you know, I was a little shocked that they hadn't already released a Blu-ray of this. But uh, yeah, guess not. This is a uh, first time. Right so we here. also have The Brides of Dracula, uh, another Hammer film. Moving on. <laughs> yeah, which is selling very well. <laughs> you know who you are. Just come and get it. Come I and know. get it. And we also have How to Make a Monster. This is a classic um, film from the producer of I Was a Teenage Frankenstein and I Was a Teenage Werewolf. Never seen this one, but just picked it up because I was actually doing research 
uh, about him. Uh, Herman Cohen is his name because he also made a King Kong ripoff in the 1960s called Conga. Oh, yes, Conga, of course. Uh, this movie looks pretty interesting, though. It's got kind of that meta bent to it, yeah, right? Yeah, and Chow Factory went all out. It's like every kind of classic movie like this, like um, B-movie. All the monster kids want to do commentaries, like three com- two commentary tracks and we're stacked to the rafters. So, yeah, that's the old saying expression. Yeah, there. that's a good one. I like that. <laughs> and yeah, How to Make a Monster was delayed a couple of times. It was supposed to come out earlier this year, so I don't know if they were working on getting more stuff for it or They wanted it you, to be perfect. It is finally here. They did. They did. Uh, we also have uh, War of the Colossal Beasts, a famous MST3K movie, and it's the one with the guy with the really creepy uh, sunken in eye that grows giant. Yeah. Uh, Bert I. Gordon, <laughs> Mr. Big, unloved on this podcast, as we've covered before. <laughs> I know. Uh, yeah, this is just all these Bird Eye Gordon movies. It's never going to stop. Never going to stop. So we also have Fear No Evil, Ritual of Evil. These are they TV are, movies, yeah. right? I don't know. I don't actually know if they're related at all, apart from they're just they're sharing like the same screenwriter or something like that. Uh, but yeah, apparently these were very influential TV movies for people of a certain age, I guess, that were growing up at this time in 1969, 70 is when they came out. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know much about them. It's another wave. Like uh, Kino's really going hard into these t- '70s TV movies right now and putting really nice additions with slipcovers and everything on these. Oh yeah, so, they're going all out. They're no. like, oh, we can do it too. Like Shout Factory and uh, your Ronin flixes. It's like, look at me, fellow teens. We can like, get into the cult market. Yeah. <laughs> their release of Deep Star Six, uh, the Sean Cunningham uh, movie about an. Uh, underwater alien thing monster that comes in like a slip case it's like packed with um commentaries two commentaries two commentaries for this movie two. it kind of reminds me of their release of deep rising actually i guess a similar kind of film it's this sort of they really put a lot of effort into yeah extras going over the special effects and yeah commentaries and all that they've uh, dipped their their uh finger in that stuff though they also did like rawhead rex and that had like a big special edition that was a while ago but i feel like they're getting more into that groove and they're trying to start competing with the other are, uh, companies. But yes, Deep Star 6 is here. It was a little, a few weeks delayed. People were asking us all the time, when is Deep Star 6 coming in? When is Deep Star 6 coming in? It's here. They, <laughs> they were, were not. Are you kidding me? I had so many names down for pre-orders. We've already sold like more than half of our bundle since it, I mean, like what? one but day. But Deep Star 6 is like a famously and hated the thing, movie. Yeah, the only release of it previously was like a crappy artisan DVD, I believe. Um, yeah, this is, you know, Sean Cunningham film, one of one of five or six underwater horror thrillers that came out around the same year. Uh, yeah. The Abyss, Leviathan, Leviathan yeah, Deep Star there were, Six. There were like three yeah. more, I think, too. I'm just forgetting what they are. There are. Really? The Rift oh, yeah. was one of them. There's um, the, yeah, the Rift, the, the yeah. one with all the stop motion ones. There's, there's uh, a couple more, too. I'm just forgetting what they are. Um I just watched this film, though, for the first time and found it kind of boring, to be honest. You know, you don't have as refined a palate as a connoisseur like me does. That film's pretty boring. It's like a ripoff of Aliens, uh, but I really love the big monster that shows up at the end. It's so, like, cumbersome and can barely yeah, move. Yeah, the monster takes so long to appear on screen that you almost forget it's a monster movie for most of it. Um, but you know what? I did like the monster a lot, and I did like... Um, Miguel Ferrer, of course, because he's always great. And I loved when he, his oh, death yeah, scene Miguel is Ferrer's very great. good. <laughs> it's very, very good. Oh, wow. Uh, Greg Nicotero worked on this and he Robert did, Kurtzman and yeah. Mark Shortstrom. Oh, I'm just looking at the back here at the, uh, 
interviews. Definitely gonna. Wow, there's even an interview with stunt coordinator Kane Hodder. What a what a package Crazy, on the, right? for Deep Star Six. Uh, so yeah, I guess this movie was. I mean, I guess you're a fan of this film. This movie's pretty beloved by. Us. Ooh, beloved's a strong word. I feel I thought I felt it was pretty much hated, and I was like the only person I so who enjoyed it. So the amount of people that have been excited about this release were is. Yeah, strange to me, I guess. <laughs> well, speaking of stuff that people are excited about, uh, Kino's putting out Amazon Woman of of the on the moon. There you go. <laughs> Couldn't get that out. The it, infamous anthology film directed by Joe Dante, John Landis, and some other yeah, people. Yeah, <laughs> some other people who who aren't as important. Um, yeah, Car Gottlieb, the writer of Jaws and the director of Ringo Starr's Caveman, directed it. Of course, yeah. So some real heavy hitters here. <laughs> mm-hmm. And this is another big special edition. Uh, there's a fun making of on it because I have this. This is a unfunny film. Is it not good? I've, I've oh, always, no, I've never seen funny. this, but always been very intrigued. Um, just never got around to it. There's one funny bit with Henry Silver, Jack the Ripper, or what if Jack the Ripper was a Loch Ness monster? And then like a visualization of that <laughs> through a big uh, Loch Ness monster like prosthetic thing. So that's funny. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so moving on, we have, oh man, it's Full Moon Fever, Creepazoids, The Day the Time Ended, Laser Blast, Meridian, Robot Wars, Slave Girls from Beyond Infinity, Sorority Babes in the Slime Bolarama. Are these Blu-rays? No. Oh, you, you you took the question right out of my mouth. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm no, sorry. No, no. Uh, these are the DVDs, but the they're remastered DVDs. So there will be the transfer that were used on Blu-rays. I'm curious. Do they sport the same special features as the Blu-rays did? Uh, not really. No. I think one or two of them might have something on them, but these are pretty bare-bone affairs, which uh, are very cheap. Uh, the thing with Full Moon is they don't their blu-rays are pretty much exclusively available directly from them on their online store or they have a deal with amazon i believe too to sell so only recently we've been able to start getting some of these new release full moon blu-rays but pretty much for all of these films we've never been able to get the blu-rays in here and it's a real shame because i like i don't understand why we can get their dvds but not the blu-rays but what what are you talking about i bought my copy of pre-hysteria from bay street video you did you know that's when that's when they started dipping into like the wider selling (laughs) market i guess with their family stuff and now it's expanded a little bit but for these films which are all I guess sort of classic full moon films. Oh boy, I could not recommend one of them. Even though I own Creepazoid and Sorority Babes and Slime Bowlerama because they're David Dakota films in the Blu-ray sports commentary. And Sorority Babes and Slime Bowlerama has five hours of behind-the-scenes footage with commentary, maybe it's three hours, by David Dakota. Wow. Well, that's good. Well, the DVD does not have any of that. <laughs> so, But if you just want the film, here it is. <laughs> you um, weirdo. I don't know. You know, I haven't seen any of these films, and I honestly haven't seen – I haven't really dipped my toes into the Full Moon catalog that much. But, yeah, none of these films are great because a lot of these films look – Laser Blast is probably the most infamous one. Again, that's an MST3K film. Right. Good uh, cameo by the Deeds himself, Eddie Deason, who we don't <laughs> talk about enough on this podcast. I guess his movies don't really come out. No, they don't. <laughs> so, moving on, we have classics. We got Girlfriends finally coming out on Blu-ray. Yeah, so this film was kind of – you know, kind of got lost for a few decades. People sort of forgot about it. I mean, it was sort of a big hit. I remember it was the first film, I believe, to win the People's Choice Award at the Toronto International Film Festival back when it was known as the Festival of Festivals in the 70s. Uh, then was kind of just 
lost, I guess, because of rights issues. Never really came out until uh, Warner Archive put it out on like a DVD, an MOD DVD. But uh, it's gotten a lot more traction lately because I don't know. People seem to latch onto the quote that Stanley Kubrick Kubrick said that it was one of his favorite films of the time. It's a very good movie or a great movie. I think it probably didn't get distributed because it stars women. It was directed by women, and nobody wants those. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Totally. Totally. So here it is, and it's been fully remastered. You know, it's been kind of touring and sort of theatrical screenings. I know it played here in Toronto at the Tiff Bell Light Lightbox a few years ago, and I'm sure it played a bunch of other places. Uh, but yeah, it's finally here and you can finally buy this film that's been so talked about, I guess, over the last few years. It's finally been getting getting some traction, but hasn't really been that widely available. So run over to Bay Street Video and pick it up. Do it now. Pick it up. Do it now. We got lots of copies. And, uh, no one's buying them because this woman film. I know. I know. It's sad to say. We, you know, we're selling a few, but you know, it, it is sad that a lot of our a lot of our customer base is a male customer base. And if you yeah. slapped the sticker on it that said uh, Stanley Kubrick, his favorite film, you would sell way and more. And you know copies. what the sad thing is? I feel like it's gotten a lot more traction because of that. Like it's almost like every time I hear about it, they use that quote. <laughs> so moving on, we have two Todd Browning joints. We got Outside the Law, it's nineteen twenty film, and Drifting, and White Tiger, a double bill disc as well. It is, yeah. These have. Been been uh, not really available in very good forms. I think Image had them out in kind of crummy looking DVDs before, but Kino has gone all out and remastered these bad boys. So if you're a Todd Browning fan, pick these up. Yes, sir. I got nothing to say on these. I've never seen them. <laughs> this is like the real bottom of the bin of Todd Browning yeah, catalogs. So. I, I haven't seen a ton of Todd Browning. <laughs> I mean, people really seem to like Outside the Law. That one's been doing pretty well. Mm. Uh, we also have, uh, now this is more my speed, The Icarus File, which is the Michael uh, Kane not really Bond. The joke is he's like a bureaucratic Bond. But this is directed by Canada's own Sidney J. Fury. Yeah, his big sort of like... Uh... I guess I guess it's not really a Hollywood movie, but it's big, like you know, blockbuster yeah, breakout debut kind of hit. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it, yeah, this movie has been like kind of lost in rights hell for a long, long time. Like our old DVD of this is some like Russian import DVD, so this has just not really been available at all in like a watchable format on DVD at least. In huh, I wonder why, but now it's finally here. You can uh, take it in all of its widescreen glory, or wide-angle glory, I should point out. Because at this point, Sidney J. Fury did a trilogy of films that he shot them all with, like, insane wide-angle lenses. And uh, it, you don't have to be a cinephile to notice it, because when you watch the movie, you'll be like, holy moly, this is insane. <laughs> so, we also have another Michael Caine film, The Whistleblower. Is this one really uh, popular? Yeah, don't don't know. Yeah, don't know much. This is the less popular one. <laughs> like they released this, the Ipcris file and the whistleblower at the same time, and one of them's selling really well, and one of them is just kind of sitting there, and that would be this one. But I don't know. I think people this rental always went out a lot, so I guess you know Britishy thr thriller from the eighties with Michael Caine. Have you ever thought of Can't putting like stickers on it that say something like British with Michael Caine, and like you'll sell more copies that way? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they put his face pretty prominently on the front. Uh, we also have The Secret Ways, a 1961 film directed by uh, Phil Carlson, who I like a lot. This one's starring Richard Widmark, which I like a lot. 
And this is about a so after a Soviet tank crushed the Hungarian uprising, soldier of fortune Mike Reynolds is hired to help a threatened Hungarian scientist escape from Budapest. That sounds like fun. That sounds like Dark of the Sun and all those movies like that that were coming out around that time. It's selling really well, this one. So I feel like this is, yeah, this is another one that a lot of uh, certain generations saw when they were younger. And it just, again, hasn't Oh, yeah, been I see now. Like, this is definitely now. a uh not been available for a very long time there's almost no reviews of it on letterbox so it must have like really fallen through the cracks yeah i think studio canal had i think this is one of those studio canal rights acquisitions mm. here all right and moving on we also have clint eastwood oh man we're in clint town because we we're got clint territory the beguile, here. two mules for <laughs> sister sarah the Iger Sanction, play Misty for me. So we got some Don Siegel, and then we got some Clint-directed ones himself. Yeah. Um, and I will say before we get into these that there are two more of this series that just haven't arrived on our doorstep yet. Joe Kidd and High Plains Drifter are also Ooh, coming in. I like High Plains um, Drifter. But we're just waiting on them. Yeah, so, um, but these are all really nice packages. They Again, like we were just talking about Kino, trying to get into that cult market. They've packaged these with slipcovers. They put a bunch of extras on them uh a lot of these have already been available on blu-ray but they have just um restored them and uh put a bunch of new yeah extras. i think they were so... made at the time when like the idea of like critical commentaries and stuff like that or just interviewing one actor was like a foreign concept but now that's what everybody wants so i think it's much easier to put together a special edition um and yeah i <sighs> I honestly haven't seen many of these except for Play Misty for me, which I quite enjoy. Uh, I always liked that movie, kind of one of the original stalker thrillers. Um, well, the really original erotic... Th- um... Maybe, maybe, yeah. <laughs> I actually really like uh, The Beguiled. Yeah, I've always wanted to... I meant to see it when the Sofia Coppola version came out, and I just never got around to it. But uh, I liked Don Siegel a lot, and I definitely want to... And this one's been probably selling the best out of the four of Interesting. these so far. I wrote an article comparing both of them, and it's the article I get the most comments on. I don't understand why. I think maybe it's like a sexism thing that people are like, yeah, Sofia uh, Coppola doesn't know how to make movies, but Don Siegel yeah, does. Okay, <laughs> that that's kind of yeah. Lame. Actually, I actually, I actually don't really, I, I don't really like the Sofia uh, Coppola version very much. She ma- made some interesting choices, like cutting out the only African American. She did. Character. She did, and I, I know she took a lot of flack over that. I I did like the uh her version when it came out um although it's not i wouldn't say it's one of my favorite of her films but we're gonna i know look. what that is somewhere uh you know what you are bang on sir. i know i am <laughs> somewhere in the mark bl- i the know you like a book two- yeah i know <laughs> i can you know take or leave lost in translation virgin suicides but somewhere ooh, that's the good stuff because when right it's there. about like uh hollywood people and if they're washed up steven dorf that is Mark Bate right there. It's basically just Stephen Dorff. Yeah, uh, yeah. So we also have from Kino Bustin' Loose, a Richard Pryor film. After ex-con Joe Braxton violates his probation, he is given a second chance. All he has to do is drive a group of special kids <laughs> I remember across the this, country. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And it's directed by Oz Scott, the director of Mr. Boogity. Yeah, I uh, can't say I've seen this film, but I remember we sold off our rental a few years ago because it <laughs> never, never rented, literally never rented. And it had a really atrocious DVD cover, which they have thankfully 
not used for the Blu-ray of this. Wait, what was the DVD cover? It was just him striking the mo- most hideous face on the front cover. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I think actually like Universal. the poster. It's him surrounded, oh, I mean, like, by Ku Klux Klan members. Yeah, that's wild. Uh, yeah, that's a strange one right there. <laughs> I want to look at this DVD cover. Oh, one of them, he just has a cowboy hat. So I guess it's not that one. It is the one with the cowboy hat. I was just really freaked out by his face on it and his, like, mustache and everything. It just... Uh, I hear this gets too overly sentimental with the uh, kids in it. Okay. Wow, yeah. even this has commentary? Well, what a golden age we live in. <laughs> so moving on, we got the good times, kids. Okay, so I know Mark can probably speak to this, right? I can't. I, I haven't actually seen these films, but yeah, the these these next two, uh, the good times, kid, all one word, by the way, on that, and Mama's Man are two early films from Azazel Jacobs, who is uh, kind of an in New York indie director who kind of came up in the mumblecore era. So these are kind of mumblecore-esque films. But you know what? I never actually saw either of these when they came out the only film i saw of his was terry uh the john c Riley film uh which i quite liked at the time i thought that was really charming uh just a really nice little film uh and then i just haven't i meant to catch up with his early stuff um after that but we never had dvds of them at the store and i just couldn't really find them uh so i definitely want to see them now he's got a new movie out uh right now actually or coming out soon called french exit which is supposed to be good so if you want to catch up on his early stuff, it is here now. Wait a in minute. New from Kino. He's the son of Ken Jacobs? I'm just reading that now. Yeah, I did not. <laughs> I had no idea. But you know, that, uh, no! that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> uh, it's like I was listening to uh, some like talk show podcast. And like the guest they had, it's like, oh, she's never done anything. She wrote an autobiography. It's like, that's weird. And it's like, oh, she's the daughter of Larry David. Uh, <laughs> and you know what? Ken Jacobs is actually in Mama's Man, too, now that I'm looking it up. Yes, because he's the dad. Is he the man of Mama's he Man? He <laughs> cast his own parents as the mom and dad in this movie because it's about a, like – I guess a 30 something like stunted man who still lives with his parents basically. And his parents are like that. Azazel Jacobs. So parents. moving on, we got Tennessee Johnson. Oh, we're in Warner archives tr- uh, territory. William Dieterle movie, uh, the tumultuous presidency of the 17th president. Andrew Johnson is chronicled in this biopic. Yeah, nobody has bought. N- n- nobody right. has touched a copy of this yet. <laughs> Please, please buy, please buy Tennessee Johnson. I can't send these back. I cannot. Oh yeah, because it's a Warner Archive release. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get stuck with my copies of these people. Wait, please. how many did you buy? Uh, like five. <laughs> and you can't send them back. I thought that they were too weren't, many. I thought too many. they weren't manufactured on demand anymore. I thought they were doing. They are. No, they still are. Yeah. Which is unfortunate. I I don't like. Why don't they take them back? I don't understand. Just because it's mod. I don't know. It's like they just don't. They they have this business model where they're like, well, we don't want to produce a bunch of copies of something that might not sell, even though they release a lot of popular movies on the Warner Archive line. They just would rather do it this way and put them out as mods. But they could get them back and just sell them when they need to. Turn around and sell them again, can't they? You know, that's what you'd think. That's what you would think. All right, so we also have a new movie from uh, the, I guess, scruffy, mysterious animal <laughs> that keeps wandering into Bay Street Video, Liberation Hall. Yeah. We don't know where it came from. We don't know why it's here, but they have a new movie, Escape from Subabore, 
which is the true story of World War II's notorious subabor Nazi death camp. This is a Rucker Hauer starring, let me take a guess, TV it is. movie. This is an 80s TV movie that has often been very requested here at the store because it's been in the public domain. So there has been a ton of public oh, domain well, we've releases of this. that Liberation Hall which mystery is, yeah, on this clearly one. clearly why Liberation Hall is putting it out. So, um, yeah, I guess, you know, if you've been asking for Escape from Sobibor for all these years and we've never really had it, here it is. Uh, obviously, no extras on this, nothing but the movie. It's just DVD. Uh, but that's Liberation Hall. Why should Hall I get this Liberation Hall if you had put some extras? Then maybe you would have been the king of the releases. Who are you, Liberation Hall? Who are you? <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> Who am I? <laughs> Who am I? <laughs> All right, so we got, uh, oh, we haven't seen him on this list since I started. Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis in The Stooge. This is uh, uh, not a well-loved one. (laughs) I don't think I've ever heard of this one. Please don't say that. Again, I cannot send these back if you don't (laughs) sell them. (laughs) I, um, oh man, the next one too. (laughs) Um, So why don't they do like uh, special editions of Jerry Lewis films now? He's you know, gone from this earth, they could probably do big things. Like if Kino got their hands on the catalog or something like that. I don't that. know. I, I can't say I'm a Jerry Lewis aficionado myself, but um, yeah, I don't know. I know Olive t- dipped their toes into the Jerry Lewis uh, canon a little bit a few yeah, years back. Yeah, it's like Who's Minding the Store is one that they released. Yeah, yeah, but you know, they don't do many extras or anything and I don't think any of those sold very well. I don't think we stock Rest any in of peace, those anymore. Olive, wherever yeah, you are. I'm not sure. <laughs> I know, wherever they are. Um, but, yeah, I don't know what the deal is with Jerry Lewis stuff at this point. I mean, obviously, they put out, like, a big – Paramount put out a huge special edition collector set of uh, The Nutty Professor at one point. Like, yeah, but – But I want the uh, Paramount Presents Nutty Professor I know, I know. Edition. Where's that? Um, and, unfortunately, this is not a Paramount Presents. This is just a regular Blu-ray here. And... Uh, yeah, they're too busy releasing the remake of The Haunting exactly, for $50. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I don't know. So, The Stooge, not good, I guess? I, I don't know. I've never seen it. You know what? I'm going to have to ring my – my good pal Will Sloan, he'll be able to let me know. Ring, ring. Oh, I'm, yeah. surprised. I'm surprised he hasn't come in and bought a copy of this so far. Oh, Please tell him. I'm sure he probably ordered it from other places. Or, <laughs> oh, How dare he? Yeah. We also have The Odd Couple 2. You can't. Yeah. You know, how many of these did you this buy? This is a real classic. Uh, I only got one of these because I am not that confident it will sell. But you know what? People love. Jack Lemon and Walter Matthau. People love The Odd Couple, so why wouldn't they love The Odd Couple too? <laughs> uh, yeah, so they must love The Odd Couple too. The 30-year-long gap Yeah, sequel. and you know what? I've actually seen this film. I saw it when I was a kid. <laughs> Honestly, can't remember much about it at all, except for one scene, because I think they're on some sort of like cross-country road trip a la Dumb and Dumber or something and <laughs> they are yeah. I know I know yeah basically and there's a scene where they're they're driving some sort of like it might even be like a motorbike or something just like Dumb and Dumber and it's going so slow that a bunch of like people on just regular bicycles are all passing them and they're just like eh, they're like shouting at these people on the bicycles and that's all I remember from this movie for some reason wait 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 it came out in 1998 yeah, Do you think so, they you were know, trying was... to like, uh, I mean, Dumb and Dumber had come out four years before that, but trying to recapture that I magic? I think so. Well, you know, I mean, it's interesting that there was kind of like Walter Matthau, Jack Lemon fever again in the 90s. Because like, I remember growing up with like, the, like grumpy old men, like uh, that president movie they did that I'm forgetting. Uh, 
my fellow Americans. I think that was that was them, right? Out to see, like, I saw a lot of these movies that they were in when I was a kid, just because I remember my parents would rent them from the video store. But in terms of like their classic stuff, I classic stuff, I'm not even that familiar with it. I don't even think I've seen the original Odd Couple before. Yeah, you know what? I'm gonna make a confession. I have not seen the Odd Couple. But you've seen, but the, I've odd seen the Odd Couple too. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I'm sorry. I was a kid. My parents rented it. What can I do? I just I sat was in front confused. Of the TV. This one with is it the In Laws? The one with Peter. Fock, who's like, I'm a yes. spy. Yeah, I always yeah. confuse that one with the, uh, this yeah. one. Do you know Howard Deutsch, the director of The Odd Couple 2, has such an insane filmography? He also directed Grumpier Old Men right. <laughs> and okay. The that Whole Ten sense. Yards. Uh, <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, never sequels saw that nobody one. wanted. <laughs> so many sequels. Wait, yeah. you haven't seen The Whole Ten Yards? What? No, I've seen I've seen the whole nine yards, but I never made it to the whole ten yards. Yeah, but you got to make it to the whole ten yards because you know we got to complete your Willis watch. I guess so. I don't know. I just and you know what? I really liked the whole nine yards too. Oh, you will I not like uh, the whole ten yards. Um, and yeah, I think the reason I avoided it because it was like the whole nine yards was like R rated. It was like edgy, and then the whole ten yards was like PG thirteen and like seemed kind of. Kind of soft. I don't know. <laughs> you didn't think it was going to have the edginess of the whole nine yards? Yeah, I, I don't think so. Yeah, it doesn't have, you know, that bite of something like Saving Silver. Uh... <laughs> Saving Silverman. There's a classic. It, yeah, Bruce Campbell's in that one, right? That's a, that's why I remember Bruce it. Campbell. Is he in that one? That's the Jason no, Biggs movie, No, which is movie, the one right? that Bruce Campbell sticks his hand up uh, like a, a a cow's butt? Oh, I am not sure. I don't think that's Saving Silverman, though. Or maybe it is, and I'm just totally forgetting that moment. <laughs> All right, I'm going to look it up right now, and when I say what movie it is, you're going to be like, how could I have forgotten that I know, classic? I'll be like, oh, I have seen that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I'd be shocked if you hadn't, considering it was probably just like, oh, I confused Saving Silverman with another Matthew Perry film. Serving Sarah. Oh, serving Sarah. I knew you were going to say that. Uh, I have not seen that film. I have not seen that. <laughs> Why were there all these like very similar titles around that yeah, time? Yeah, I know, right? Uh, remember when Matthew Perry was like kind of a movie star? Mm, nope, because he never really was, nope. was he? <laughs> yeah, no, I guess not. <laughs> Elizabeth Hurley was in that? Right, yeah. What is Matthew Perry up to these I days? I thought Matthew Perry was pretty funny back in the day. Yeah, uh, I don't know. He's he's back on TV a lot, I think. I think he's got sitcoms. He, he was in The Odd Couple. Actually, this brings this full circle because he was in The Odd Couple. <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, you know, wow. It's Time like is we a flat have circle. It any better, so you know? moving on to Mark, take the wheel as I take a nap. Yeah, we got some big ones right off the top. Well, don't take a nap yet because I know you've seen Bill and Ted face the music. I have. And it's is it great. good? You know, I still haven't seen this, and yet I love the original Bill and Ted's. Uh, oh, I was a then little... you're really gonna lo- you're gonna like this movie. Okay, cool. I was a little hesitant that it was just like one of those cash grab kind of things, but I've been hearing really good. things. I mean, it is definitely not a cash grab. It was written by the guys who wrote the first two. It's directed by the guy who did Galaxy Quest. This is a movie that like I do like Galaxy Quest. They just really what? Do you like Red Two as well? That you made. I do, I do not like Red. I've never seen Red 2, sorry. <laughs> but you have seen the interview of Bruce Willis going, why are you interviewing us about this? No yeah, one cares. I have seen that. Yeah, that's all I needed to oh, see. Oh, yeah, this movie's super fun. It's super joyous. You got to see this, man. Uh, Steven Soderbergh was very involved. He's an executive producer on the film. Was he? Wow. Uh, that is something I did not know. Uh, okay, cool. Uh, moving on, uh, we've got Mulan as well. You Did you see this one yeah, as well? Yeah, it's bad. Yeah. 
is this bad. I was a little surprised this uh, was coming out because I thought it might just kind of live on Disney Plus forever, but uh, it is out now. Uh, but moving on because we don't really have anything to say about Mulan. Oh, yeah. Uh, we've got... We've got Mortal, which is kind of a superhero-y type thing from Andre Ovredal, who oh, is the yeah. director of Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, Troll Hunter, The Autopsy of Jane Doe. You know, I'm not I'm not really a fan of this guy's films, I'm going to be honest. So. I really like The Autopsy of Jane Doe. I, I like Troll Hunter. Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Did you like that? Do not like that movie. Real bad. Yeah, I didn't like that at all. But anyways, yeah, back to Mortal. I don't know. It's like a superhero kind of thing set in Norway. In There's Norway. like a million of these. Like the, the guy's going to be Thor. There's like, there wasn't there a Netflix TV show about this recently? Probably. I don't know. So moving on, we got Spontaneous, which is another new film uh, about people, I don't know, kids in a high school who spontaneously combust? It is. Or explode, I think. It's from the director, well, it's a first-time director, but the screenwriter of McGee's The Babysitter, a film I do not uh, like. Uh, hated that movie. I actually did see that. Uh, you know, that I, was like I, a I, big, I, famous, like, blacklist script, I think, that, like, for years, people were trying to get it made. Yeah, I don't really know why I watched that. I think it was just kind of a big, everybody was talking about it at the time and threw it on. Were they? Were they thinking it was good? Because I remember I watched it, I was like, this is it bad. It did spawn a sequel, right? Like, there's a new one. Yeah, so. yeah. I actually tried to give the sequel, I gave it, like, five minutes, and I was like, nope, <laughs> moving on. No, I'm surprised I lasted through it, because I just found it so obnoxious and just What uh, happened grating. to the McGee of Charlie's Angels and Charlie? Angels full throttle. That's the McGee I yeah, love. Yeah, and you know what? I think that was part of the reason I checked it. I checked it out at the time because I was like, "What's McGee up to these days?" I used to like him, and the answer. People say this one's good. really fun, but a movie where anyone can explode at any time sounds very stressful for someone like me who jumps at very large noises. <laughs> Uh, and then next up, we've got Morona's Fantastic Tale, which is a G-Kids shout release. Uh, this is a French animated film that is for kids, but sounds very sad because it's like about a dog who... Whoa, but, but Fantastic is in the title. I know, but the plot description is after a dog has an accident, he basically has flashbacks of all his owners. So it's like a before death sort of dream thing for this dog. I don't know. I mean, the animation looks stunning, but uh, if you're going to show this to your kids, uh, maybe Here's pre-screen it. <laughs> Every dog movie, the dog dies. Every single movie, I right? I think they just get <laughs> like, the dog dying out of the way, like right off the top. And it's just like, look at this fantastic uh, after death voyage he goes on. Oh, so. no. One of the first reviews on Letterboxd. Dear reader, I effing wept. I'm truly rattled. That little dog effed me up. I will not be taking questions at this time. <laughs> great, great. Well, there, there you go. But the animation does look really, really beautiful on this one. So. I can't see it through my tears, I, uh, That's Mark. true. That's true. <laughs> if you could just have a box of Kleenexes on hand, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Uh, other <laughs> For your eyes. <laughs> Otherwise, in animation land, we've got One Punch Man Season 2. <laughs> uh, <laughs> This is a series I've never watched. People really People like it. Really though. love this show. Uh, but yeah, I have not seen this anime. Is not uh, my forte. When was the last anime that you watched, Mark? Ooh, uh, does Sailor Moon count? Does Pokemon count? That was a long ass time. <laughs> that was ago. a long time ago. I mean, I've seen some anime movies and stuff, but in terms of we anime do, like, shows, I, 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 yeah, don't I don't know where know. we get the time, but like, uh, Mark gets schooled where you're forced to watch Oof, like a yeah, movie. I would get schooled on so many things because clearly my my uh, <laughs> my narrow feet field of viewing is is very pronounced at this point uh westerns musicals coming yeah, of age yeah, movies jesus 
kill me. You'd have to strap me to a chair, Clockwork Orange style, and submit me to submit westerns to me. So moving on, we've got uh, Metamorphosis, uh, which is a new Korean horror film put out by Shudder uh, about an exorcist who is a retired exorcist. <laughs> <Uh-oh>. Yes. <laughs> yeah. What? Because of Shudder. <laughs> I know. Uh, I have not seen this. I mean, it looks kind of interesting. I think it's about a retired exorcist who has to get back into the game when his family gets possessed or something like that. Uh, but, you know, Shudder couldn't go either way at this point. So. I feel like it'll probably be very depressing. Probably, yeah. And you're going to watch it and go, I saw this movie. It was called The Wailing. Yeah, basically, which is a fantastic film. So if you haven't seen The Wailing, just watch that instead. Um, otherwise... Speaking of being depressed... Yeah, we've got yeesh. A Girl Missing, which is a Japanese film from... From a director named Koji Fukada, who uh, I haven't seen this one, but his stuff's really interesting. He kind of makes like the um, like arty domestic thriller type things, and this is about a. Um I think a like a nanny who kind of the her relationship with her family's uh, kind of ruined when her nephew kidnaps their daughter, something like that. Um, but yeah, his stuff is does really well in the festival circuit, and it's just really good for if you're looking for that kind of like art house thriller type thing. Um, uh, after that, we're going to see movies on this festival circuit. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> like, I mean, the festival circuit, you know, we does say not that all the time. It's anymore. like, it's very well in the festival. It's like 12 people. Yeah. I mean, I guess I just follow cause I have to like review movies and stuff. I just follow what's going on at festivals. I mean, obviously this year there's like no festival circuit or if there is, it's just like a virtual festival circuit, but you know, they, I don't know. I guess it's a term that a lot of film critic people use. Like, yeah. Oh, as Peter said, circuit, Peter Kaplowski, but, yeah. who programmed for the Toronto International Film Festival, festivals are stupid festivals are stupid they really are but you know we're all a slave to them so not me not you not you all right Uh, so moving on moving on to more festival circuit stuff (laughs) (laughs) we've got a german film i was at home but which is the new film from angela shen shanalek i believe i actually remember seeing this playing at tiff yes i saw this at tiff actually and i really liked it i I like her films i've seen a few of them now uh they did a retrospective of her stuff at tiff right before uh covid shut everything down and her stuff is really cool it's very it is very much a type of like stilted kind of like art house vibe so you definitely need to like know what you're getting into uh but this is a really interesting movie it's about a also concerns a disappearance of a child but it takes place after the child comes back and he just kind of like wanders home one day but won't really say anything about where he was and then that kind of throws the lives of everybody in his um, orbit into basically chaos. Uh, really interesting stuff, though. So if you want a new, an interesting, like, European director that may, hasn't gotten a ton... She's made a ton of films, though, until now. But this is kind of the first one that's gotten any sort of, like, release past festivals. Uh, but she made a really good film called The Dreamed Path about four years ago or so, which also played at TIFF at the time and is also very excellent. It kind of, like, jumps through time uh, time periods and stuff, which is interesting. Yeah. And then also from Cinema Guild, we've got Chinese Portrait, which is a apparently a really cool documentary, a Chinese documentary about just like it's just kind of static tableau shots of people at work and people um, shopping and doing things. And it's just kind of like a portrait of China as it is today. So I've heard really, really cool things about this. Uh, it's from the director of Beijing Bicycle. Was big on the festival circuit. <laughs> really? Was big on the festival circuit. So big. 
Uh, but coming up next, we've got a very contentious documentary. I don't know if you saw this one. Cannibal. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Is this the cannibal one guy one? Yeah. Mm. So this is a documentary about the real life cannibal. Wow, this took uh, a long time to come Is- out. Iso, yeah, the Japanese guy, Iso Segue, I believe. Um, who, if you don't know, I mean, I think Vice did an article with him a while back, which kind of went into everything, but really disturbing story. Basically, in the 80s, I believe, he was a uh, university student living in France, and he always had this desire to basically kill and eat a woman, and that's exactly what he did. He basically lured a, uh, a classmate over to his house, shot her, and then proceeded to basically have sex with her corpse, eat her corpse, a lot of disgusting stuff. But uh, when he was on trial, they declared him mentally unfit to uh, to stand trial. And he ended up getting sent back to Japan to be to live in an institution. But then they ended up just releasing him after a year or two because of weird legalities. And he's been free to this day. And he has become kind of the notorious celebrity. He's written books. He wrote a man. He actually made, wrote an uh drew a manga about what he did which is really crazy to me that this was published um so yeah really gross stuff uh so they've made so this documentary is made by uh verena paravel and lucien casting taylor who you might know as the directors of leviathan the um that fishing documentary which um I personally really hated because it just made me seasick, but I know a lot of people like. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the one that shot from all the cameras. Oh God, I couldn't stand that movie, but I know a lot of people like that. Um, but it's also it comes out of the they work with the Harvard Ethnographic Laboratory, which is putting out a lot of interesting docs right now. Uh, but this is yeah a documentary that's really just a series of like blurry close ups on this guy's face as he talks about what he did. Like, yeah, doesn't he like struggle to yeah, breathe? Yeah, he's basically for, like, got an illness, too? so his brother has to take care of him, but his. And his brother is actually like a sadomasochist too who like does videos of himself like puncturing his skin and everything um i don't know how i feel about this dog i I saw it um i was definitely morbidly you know fascinated by it but coming away after it i'm not sure it really says i mean they definitely take just an amoral kind of stance and just show like here's this guy but I'm not sure giving him any more screen time like he's already like got so much notoriety and he's already I don't know. He's he's already such like a repellent creature, really, that it's hard to like justify watching a movie about him. So I'm not sure I personally got much out of it, but I know it's kind of it's been controversial. It's one of those love it or hate it kind of movies, but um, but it is out now. So if you are intrigued, check it out, I guess. But remember to bring a barf bag because, you know, you get to see a, you get to see a lot of that manga he drew and it is not pretty. That's for sure. No, thanks. Uh, Coming up next, uh, another documentary from the uh, legendary Barbara Koppel, her new film Desert One about um, the mission to rescue hostages during the uh, Iranian Revolution in the 70s. Supposed to be really good. Uh, We've got Jose, which is an LGBTQ love story from Guatemala. We've got Almost Love, which is an NYC set um, like indie comedy about just, you know, love in the modern age or something. I don't know, because we haven't seen that. Uh, I've seen men, women and children. Thank you very much. Yeah, you got it. You got it. Yeah, it doesn't have the Sandman in it. (laughs) No, thank you. You're not getting that. Uh, and then we've got Love Express, the disappearing the, the disappearance of Valerian Borachuk. So all you Valerian Borachuk heads out there, you know. I, I love guess this Valerian. Is, uh, Dame DeHaan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. 
Uh, but next up, I know you love this film. Whoa, love is a strong word. <laughs> Blade, the Iron Cross. More oh, yeah, this film basically last you. year, I think, maybe two years ago, Charles Van was like, we're doing the Deadly Ten. It's going to be ten movies in one year. I think they made three or four of them. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like we've talked about one or two. We've we talked about Ouija's. We've talked about them all now. Yes, yes. And, and to confirm, Ouija's was shot in five days, which is what I believed. And so was Blade the Iron Cross. And like Ouija's, this one is fun. Probably the best Puppet Master film since, oh boy, long time. A <laughs> very long time. <laughs> so many. And so again, many this only has one puppet in it, Blade. He's in maybe like five minutes of screen time. He's barely in this. But the leads are fun. It kind of moves at a good clip. It's it's written by the same guy who's written the same ten, last ten movies. I don't know why they keep bringing him back, but they do. Wow. <laughs> and Fan yeah, favorite. it's directed by a filmmaker who did the Killjoy movies, which I haven't seen. But he's a guy who does everything. He does like uh, the visual effects. He just involved in it a lot. And yeah, it's fun. It was supposedly um, finished while COVID was going on. So you wouldn't know, though. <laughs> great, great. <laughs> and yeah, so if you like the Puppet Master films and you've watched the last few, you will enjoy this one because it's better than those. All right. <laughs> Ringing endorsement. Yeah, that's what I got to say for Full Moon uh, Heads. Oh, I could give a big endorsement to the next one, though. All right. Well, next up, yeah, we've got Return to Splatter Farm from Wild Eye. And I know you've talked a lot about Splatter Farm on this podcast basically any time a Polonia Brothers joint comes out. So uh, there's a sequel. Oh, yeah. I love Splatter Farm. I'm not a huge fan of the recent Polonia films, specifically Mark Polonia. He's unfortunately the only one that's still alive. Uh, the other uh, Polonia brother, John Polonia, passed away uh, a number of years ago. And yeah, I'm not usually a huge fan because they're real, um, <laughs> yeah, real, real low budget, uh, like Queen Crab and stuff like that, or uh, Frankenshark, which I give away on this podcast. You're right, of course. <laughs> but this one, I don't know who made the decision. He has a co-director on it. And it's like a throwback to slasher movies to like, you know, Friday 13th style stuff. They also shot it in, I think, five days, uh, maybe a couple <laughs> more days than that. But it's really slick uh, for what it is. It's fun. It moves quick. And it's if you like Splatter Farm, it's filled with references to it as well. Like the musical cues, the shots from it. Not an annoying enough to like kind of throw you off if you don't know Splatter Farm. But why would you watch it if you haven't seen Splatter <laughs> yeah, Farm? Yeah, basically. Like, it, it makes no sense. Uh, and I was shocked that somebody who I communicate on Letterboxd co-stars in this film. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah, so uh, it was weird to see him on screen. It felt like somebody I knew personally. I kept going like, who is this guy? And I asked him and he said, we have never met. So I don't know. Maybe we have some mind meld or something. So There's a fun commentary on this disc. Like, uh, this is not a uh, Sub Rosa release, but it's Wild Eye. It's still super cheap, though. Yeah. Like uh, most of the yeah, Polonia their Brother stuff is releases. Pretty, so. pretty cheap. So. And I mean, we can, uh, uh, you know, give a little tease because it sounds like Splatter Farm's coming to Base Street. It is, soon. it is. There was a nice uh, two disc edition of it put out last year, and we were only finally able to get our hands on it, but it is on the way. So we'll hopefully talk about that soon. I believe that set has a bonus film in the second disc, which is their version of Cloverfield. Ooh, that's and there's like an they put the cheapest super eight filter over the footage including the sound of like it's so annoying but the monster is this big stop motion thing made by uh their stop motion guy who i really like 
All right, so moving on, what do moving we got? Moving on. Oh, we got a big <laughs> one here. Yeah, this is more your speed, right, Mark? <laughs> a rainy day in New York. What's that? The Woody Allen movie that apparently nobody wanted to release anymore, and he, he ended up suing Amazon because they, like, broke his contract. It is here, finally, put out by the uh, the wizards at MPI. <laughs> I don't know. I just imagine they're wizards over there, I guess. Um, but yeah, for some reason, they wanted to take a chance on this because you know what? Woody Allen movies still do well for us. This movie is flying off the shelf, both for rental and for sale. I mean, we were, we, we've been asked about when this is coming out for, I mean, this was made three years ago now, I think. And we've been asked about when this has been coming out ever since then. Um, obviously, it stars Timothée Chalamet, who is, you know, the bee's knees right now. So people just want to watch this. And I don't know. I couldn't care less about new Woody Allen movies. I mean, I haven't really cared about a new Woody Allen movie in many, many years. So I don't really care about this. But I don't know. Woody Allen? Do you care about this? It's wild that Amazon gave him, like, basically a blank check to oh, make man. stuff. Oh, man, yeah. I mean, he had that show, too, that, like, limited series. Oh, nobody liked. nobody yeah. liked. And that's never come out on disc. And then they made this, which was supposed to be a big release, but then it, you know, happened. It was kind of finished right when Me Too was happening, and then he really got was in the crosshairs with that, rightfully so. And basically nobody wanted to touch it except for distributors in France because, you know, they love him over there. So it's been been available in France for the last several years, but uh, not here. Um, But yeah, it is, it is here. And you know, he's got a new movie out now too. Do you know? Yeah. He's got this terrible looking new movie. I can't remember what it's called, but it takes place at a film festival because, you know, obviously and it's called Rifkin's Festival. Yeah, this is his new joint. Yeah, it's played. Well, it's, I mean, obviously, where is it playing now? It's played festivals, but I assume that's more like virtual type things. Oh, no. It's been Wallace released Shawn. in Spain. Yeah, Wallace Shawn is in this. And the hilarious thing is, yeah, it's about like a married American couple who go to the San Sebastian Film Festival. I guess the guy is a filmmaker who is, you know, the Woody Allen stand in, who is Wallace Shawn, who is married to a much younger woman. Mark, you're going to have to watch it, though. It stars uh, Gina Gershon. I know. I do like Gina Gershon. Um, I know you do. I, know. Oh, but, I don't like Louis. Oh, Richard kind is in, oh, Steve Gutenberg's in this too. Can you believe it? Steve the Steve Goot. The Goot. What? Well, you know, I mean, who else is, are you going to get for Woody Allen? Will he do for days? the Goot what he did for Andrew Dice Clay, who was really good in um, Blue Jasmine? Maybe, maybe. And you know what? I think Blue Jasmine was actually the last Woody Allen movie I saw, and I quite enjoyed actually at the time. Uh, wait, let me see. I think that may be the last one I watched. Oh no, wait. I'm looking here at this list. Did I see Magic in the Moonlight? Maybe. No, I saw I a Rational Man. That. No, and I didn't see that one. Uh, I read a book about, you know, the guy who's done a whole bunch of Woody Allen books of being on set of that movie. And what's insane is that, like, Woody Allen, he is, like, he rewrites so much, and you would never know watching the movie. I know, right? <laughs> these movies... It feels like he films his first draft. It just seems like he farts these movies out now, honestly. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I don't, looking at his filmography now i haven't seen anything since blue jasmine but i quite enjoyed blue jasmine at the time um so i don't know i'm slightly more interested maybe in this rifkin's festival movie just because like how is how is he still making these kind of movies and you're a wallace sean completist as well of course of course well i'm actually more of a steve oh man what is the goot gonna do he's probably gonna be like some like boorish yeah he's probably uh, in a couple you're right he's gonna be a boor he's gonna be like the andrew dice clay role right what are you gonna get 
the other movies that everybody's been asking for, the Roman Polanski film about uh, jacuzzi or whatever. You are correct. We have been asked about that nonstop since it came out, and especially since it won all those awards at the... Uh... And uh, I Love You, Daddy, the Louis C.K. Oh, movie. yeah, who was also in Blue Jasmine, so there you go. Oh, uh, yeah. Remember he was in that? Um, yeah, I love, well, I don't think I Love You, Daddy is ever going to see the light of day because... Louis- I saw that at the Toronto International Film Festival. You know what? I was going to see it, but the the reason I didn't see it there was because I figured it was just going to come out soon anyway. So I was like, That's oh, what whatever. everybody thought. Did it ever, did it ever leak anywhere? Maybe. I mean, I know it was bought for distribution right out of TIFF and was planning on coming out but then you know a month later yeah, but they got... dumped it and didn't another company pick it up or i think they sold it back to louis yeah, ck he, right he bought it back from them i don't even the way it, i think it went down is he offered to buy it back because he was like oh i know they're not gonna want to release it now so apparently he just owns it and i i mean unless he just releases it himself which i know he's been known to do in the past like he released his first feature which nobody saw i don't think on his own website there's a scene where he's like i'm sorry i'm sorry for whatever i did i'm sorry it's like oh no Uh, i know i do i know a lot of people who also saw it at that screening too though and i mean and a lot of them just say like in retro you know in light of what happened right after it was just like thinking back on it it's like wow that was a really greasy film (laughs) how could we have known that woody allen would do all that stuff considering manhattan and other pictures of its oh i know right exactly exactly all right so we've been trying to talk about all these problematic filmmakers i guess because we don't want to talk about the last film on this list you don't want to talk (laughs) about it worse than all of that no i'm excited i'm excited about it well who am i kidding it's this week's (laughs) blind buy ladies and gentlemen because we're saving the best for last and it is the direct-to-VOD, near soon-to-be-classic, Guest House, starring Mr. Pauly Shore. Pauly Shore. He's back! He's back, baby. I, I never thought he would star... Yeah, he, he's the star of this he movie. He is the star, and that's the thing. He's not just, like, a supporting role in this movie. This is, like, the first Pauly Shore vehicle in... year in Since what? Pauly Shore is dead, maybe? So, <laughs> what made sense doing more research into this film is that, like, it is the kind of uh taken flesh of just lame internet jokes online yeah so yeah a bit of background it is directed by mr sam macaroni who's got the best name that i have cannot ever heard be his real name right his name cannot be i think sam he, macaroni. i know it now it's spelled macaroni <laughs> like the food macaroni but in his early credits it says it's spelled m-a-c-c-a-r-o-n-e so maybe he just modified his name slightly I don't know. Anyways, he is apparently a very famous YouTube short director. And also, if you look at his IMDb bio, it just says he's directed ads for a bunch of corporations and worked for the Walt Disney Company and this and that. And I don't know. I mean, he just seems just like some corporate guy. Some of his background. In 2016, he was hired to write and develop the television show, television show The Boondock Saints Origins. Well, Speaking of the Boondock Saints, did you see who co-wrote this movie? No! Mr. Troy Duffy himself is the co-writer of Guest House. I mean, if we can make one recommendation here, check out Overnight. Overnight, one of the best documentaries of all time. Someone, I I remember someone angrily saying like, oh, you know, it was a hatchet job. And it's like, Uh, he's just on screen talking most of the time. He's such an ass at it. Yeah, it's a great, if you don't know Overnight, it's basically the chronicle of the filming of Boondock Saints made by two of uh, Troy Duffy's former friends who basically were so disgusted by him over the course of this uh, shoot that they turned their behind the scenes like 
package into like a documentary just condemning how much of a jerk he was on that set. And to this day, yeah, Troy Duffy really hasn't made anything else other than the Boondock Saints sequel. And now he's got a co-writer credit on Guest House. So, what well, man, Sam Macaroni also did, directed a one-hour comedy special for Jay Moore. Yes, and he also directed <laughs> National Lampoon's TV the movie. Do you remember that? Uh, I did not see this that. Now, which also starred one of the stars of Guest House, Stevo. Stevo is in this film as well. Anyways, what is Guest House, Justin? Uh, Guest House is about some rich. Uh, white people who I hate and I have to spend 90 minutes with uh, rent a guest house where Polly Shore's living there and he won't move They're out. They're looking at buying a house, right? They're buying their first house and it's a dream home. One of those bougie houses that only exist in movies like this. And uh, the catch is that Polly Shore is some tenant living in the guest house who's there. Yeah, yeah, but they, they're they told they can yeah, kick him out. Doesn't he have like three months or something on his, yeah, like, on his rental lease, agreement think, or something? Yeah, on his lease, yeah. Anyway, so they have to deal with him, who's this, like, you know, basically what you would expect Polly Shore to be, some rambunctious party animal guy. Okay, Straight so I need to jump in here. Comedy. Like, yeah. his comedy, it's not even comedy, it's just, like, fat, sad and pathetic. You could recut this movie, and it could be, like, um... Well, Ivan Ecstasy. There's an art house version of Guest House in here somewhere. Oh yeah, that it's maybe forty minutes long. It's in black and white. It's like Polly Shore party with just like hundreds of full frontal naked women snorting coke off their breasts. Like not even a joke. He's just like, Ugh. which is exactly what happens in this movie. Uh, but it's played I, actually, for there's one content. point where I laughed, where Polly Shore shits himself, gets a boner, and then vomits on himself all in succession. Oh, wow. What you laughed one time. That's one more time than I laughed during this movie. <laughs> um, yeah, this basically takes all the worst tropes of every like bad '80s frat bro comedy and and plays it straight faced for 2020, as if yeah, nobody's learned anything from those movies. Yeah, but at least but, those movies had jokes. At least those movies had jokes. I mean, this is also kind of like a domestic thriller parody because it takes it takes like direct plot points from Pacific Heights and makes it in like to a comedy version of that that um i don't know i mean the frustrating thing for me with this movie is this movie should have been over in 10 minutes this problem should never have even been a thing basically they can't get this guy out because apparently tenant rights Polly shore keeps saying but he openly is using drugs in front of them he's like doing so many things that they could call the cops and get him out of there in 20 minutes I mean, uh, no, he can't, because remember, the cops love Polly Shore. But the cops love Polly Shore. Um, and basically, yeah. And also, the lead guy in this, who is some milk toast oh, Adam Brody lookalike type guy. <laughs> Adam McGoyan lookalike. Adam, Adam Brody, but, like, not as entertaining as Adam Brody, which is saying something. Oh, I thought you said um, Adam McGoyan lookalike. Oh, Adam McGoyan. Imagine. That would be way better if it was an Adam McGoyan lookalike. And he, like, talks like him, too, the entire time. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so basically, you know, it, it's all this exercise and this, you know, showing how this stunted white man who, you know, is, tr- you know, he needs to grow up and get married, but he's still got his frat bro tendencies, which leads him to, you know, party with Polly Shore and get himself into increasingly ridiculous situations that would have never happened in any sort of reality except for this. Oh, and yeah, the female, the wife is played by 
Amy Teagarden, who used to be a TV star of some sort, but she really doesn't do anything except nag him. Oh, and yeah. What a shrew she is. What a eh? shrew. And she keeps wanting to get Polly Shore out and everything, but she could pick up the phone at any point and call the cops, too, and deal with it. And she I mean, doesn't do anything. We know who the either, real star so. of this movie is, and it ain't Billy Zane, but he's in this, too. He's in this, too, unfortunately. <laughs> what you know, is this, like, more one se- room where Billy Zane shoots everything? <laughs> he was in way more scenes than I thought he was going to oh, be, and, though. Well, okay, so he shoots all of his scenes in that one room and then he's at a wedding as well so they got him for two days totally totally okay i know the real star of it is i think i know who you're gonna say chris katan chris katan (laughs) he has aged terribly oh yeah you know what i will say maybe the one moment i almost approached laughter in this movie was when chris katan came on (laughs) and it was only out of sheer embarrassment for him because (laughs) (laughs) There, there is one moment in the film where Pauly Shore, because he's a huge drug addict, basically, is uh, basically he spikes the couple's water with uh, Molly and they and the and um, the wife has this sort of like uh, drug experience while she's out running. And then she comes home and Chris Kattan shows up as a delivery boy or something. I don't know. A very stunted delivery. Yeah, boy. I don't know what is going on. I felt so bad for him. He's yeah, like sweaty and, and like not healthy looking. Yeah. And this poor actress has to, like, pretend to be, get all, like, sexual with Chris Kattan because she's on drugs. And Chris Kattan is literally acting like a 10-year-old, being like, this is sex! I'm having sex right now! And, uh, Jesus. Oh, it, it basically sent shivers down my spine watching but that. But this guy, Sam Macaroni, he has so many YouTube he followers. He does! He's apparently like, a big deal, right? Uh, uh, this movie, man. Uh, just Anyways. Yeah, uh, yeah I guess this was... This I've was been a, through the valley of death. Oh, it ends man. with <laughs> Polly Shore just becoming a millionaire randomly. I know, and they all kind of hug it out at the end, and they're all friends at the end. And basically, the couple learns to you know, put aside their differences and love each other even more because of Polly Shore's character, which is insane to me. But yeah, I this was a truly repellent mu- movie experience. Uh, this might be this might be the worst thing we've ever watched for Blind Buy. No, so? no, no, no. I got two words for you. Mob Town. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I laughed when Polly Shore shit himself. Like, and it's so pathetic. Like, he vomits on his chest. <laughs> he does. Ugh. He does. Yeah, it's... I mean, but what else? You know, I look at Polly Shore in this movie, and I'm like, <laughs> you know, this isn't really that much different than what Polly Shore did when he was famous, too. So, I mean... I don't know. Polly Shore is just still doing the Polly Shore thing. We I did guess. an important cinema club episode on Polly Shore, and like I watched some YouTube videos he does. He's essentially like a broken robot. He has like he keeps saying all his ticks. His his apartment is just covered in cameras. Like he's doing his own reality TV show. What, what a, nightmare. a nightmare! Yeah, it's oh man, and Steve O's oh, in this Steve, movie too. Oh, he's looking, Age comes for he's us all. Looking rough. Yeah, you can definitely those years of jackass really took a toll on him. But uh, yeah, he's uh, he's pretty awful too. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what else to what else to All say. Right, would I recommend I mean, it for a blind buy? No, no, no. I mean, throw it's it crazy because I was actually, you know, a huge Pauly Shore fan when I was a kid. I think I saw every single one of his like big movies that he made in the '90s. Um, I really loved his shtick when I was like ten years old. 
Uh, nowadays, oh, just looking at it now, looking at this movie, holy. I mean, I remember seeing Pauly Shore is Dead when that came out because I was like mildly fascinated. Yeah, it's not not good. good. Terrible movie. Um, also really embarrassing. This is somehow more embarrassing and yet just kind of status quo too. I, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what to say about this one, but uh, and I'm not sure what the market is for this. I'm not sure if people like on VOD platforms are eating this up or if this is just going to like remain unwatched. Are they shoveling this macaroni every- in their mouth? This film is filled with so many gay oh, jokes. And that's the other thing. Like, this movie oh, is man. terribly offensive. It is not only is it like misogynistic in the way the female characters are portrayed, it is terribly homophobic. The gay jokes are like straight out of 80s movies and it's like guys like look i know you're trying to make like an 80s throwback comedy but like jesus christ like you can reflect on some of the bad things about those movies without just like pandering to it uh, yeah i was gonna make a joke about pete i just don't have the energy I know. jeez <laughs> like, oh, yeah that movie like took took a lot of took a lot of energy out of me yeah, watching it a few years oh, off it of did, our it did. and you know what but somehow you're right like Whereas something like Mobtown was just like really boring and hard to get through. Guest House, I wouldn't say it necessarily bored me. Yeah, it's like watching it's like a an, car accident. Yeah, though. it's You're like, like an I can't look away. Car accident that I just really couldn't look away from. So I guess that's something to be said for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, that's it. We end on Guest House on the yeah. high note. Yeah. Wow. Until next time. Yep. My name is Justin the Clue. And I'm Mark Hansen. <laughs> Visit the guest house. These movies and many more are available at your local video store. Once you enter, you will never leave.